Jesus, can you say amen? Hey, all that needs to be done for us to be made a friend of God, for us to be born again into the family of God, for us to have eternal life, all that needs to be done is finished in Jesus. And now all we got to do is trust by faith in Him. Man, that's good news. I'm thankful for that. Take your Bibles. Turn with me, please, to Galatians. That's where we'll be looking at tonight. Good evening to you. I'm so thankful that you are here for our Wednesday night Bible study. It's good to see each and every one of you. If you have not been praying for these services tonight, I want to ask you that you begin to do that now for at least two reasons. First of all, I need your prayers. As your pastor, I desire your prayers because I know God hears your prayers. And if God hears your prayers and the God who hears them is able to answer your prayers, then he can show up and show out and do his work in this place that only he can do. And that's what I want. That's what um, you ought to want because that's what we all need. Amen. Folks, well, I'm just praying that God uses me tonight as his vessel to give you his truth and um, that we hear from the Lord tonight. And, and that's what my prayer is. And I'm asking you to be please be praying for the same thing. We'll be looking here in the book of Galatians at a brand new chapter. Chapter number two is what we'll be uh, studying tonight. We're going to focus primarily on the first 10 verses is what I want to do. And then we'll handle verses 11 through 21, the rest of the chapter, in our next study. So um, what I want to do this evening, first and foremost, just read these first 10 verses. Then after that, I'm going to pray for you and ask for the Lord's blessing upon uh, His Word and what He wants to do right here in these services, and then um, and I'm going to give you three quick points, and we're going to go to the house, because I understand and realize that uh, your kids have school tomorrow, and if there's anything, if your house is anything like my house, the only thing worse than the first day of school is the second day of school. If there's been one thing that I've figured out with my kids, on the first day of school, they're somewhat excited for whatever reason. I mean, maybe they are excited for school, sometimes that happens. Seldomly that's the case. They just want to go back to school. Usually they want to see their friends or they want to wear their first uh, new outfit for school. And so they're excited for those things. But something happens between this morning and tomorrow morning. See, this morning they'll jump right up, man, the first day and they'll be at school. And you really ain't got to have a, a, a long talk with them or beg them to get out of the bed. But uh, in the morning that seems to change. Um, that excitement wears off, and the kids that jumped up this morning, you'll probably have to drag out tomorrow morning if you didn't have to drag them out this morning. So um, uh, if that's true for you, uh, I don't know if that's true for you, but it's certainly true for me. So we're going to um, go through this as quickly as possible this evening. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll be done in just a little bit. Let's read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run and had run in vain. Look at verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares were brought in, who came in privily despite our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Everybody say liberty. How many know you have liberty in Christ Jesus? You are free from the constraints of the Old Testament law. And what Paul is saying is, we went up to Jerusalem, and when we got there, we found there were certain men who had crept in unaware, false brethren, and they were doing everything they could to steal our liberty, to make uh, Christianity about more than faith in Christ alone. How many of you know that if you're saved, you're saved by faith in Jesus plus nothing else? That's it. Faith in Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. And Paul preached that gospel. We've looked at that since we've studied the book of Galatians, since we've been um, looking through chapter number 1. But there were certain that didn't believe that, and they were doing everything they could to steal the liberty of those who are in Christ, which we have in Christ Jesus, they, that they might bring us into bondage. Now look at verse 5. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I like how he puts that. He said, we let them talk, but we didn't let them talk much, much more than an hour. We didn't, they didn't even get an hour's worth of speaking in. 
because we had to give them the truth. And what they were saying wasn't the truth. I like that. He didn't put up with false doctrine coming uh, there among the brethren in Jerusalem. I like how he, how he says that. Verse 6, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's persons. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. He said these ones who came preaching this false doctrine, they brought nothing to me that, that was useful to me. And they brought nothing to, certainly to the gospel, because you can't add to the gospel. Verse 7, But contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. We'll get into that in just a moment. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be the pillars, now watch how he puts it, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would, that we only, they would, that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Again, Lord, we want to thank you for the truth of your word. I'm thankful that everything that needs to be done for us to be made a part of your family, for us to be a part of your kingdom and to have eternal life. The, everything that needed to be done was done because of you, Lord Jesus. Through you, Lord Jesus. I'm thankful tonight that we are free from the bondage of the Old Testament law. I'm thankful that, Lord, you plus nothing, faith in you plus nothing equals salvation. Lord, I'm praying you make that real to us this evening, just as you made it real to the church of Galatia those many years ago. Lord, speak this truth to us. Holy Spirit, have your way and have your will in these services tonight. And for these things, we're going to praise you for you alone are worthy. Lord, again, we need not have just another meeting this evening. What we need is a fresh anointing, a fresh touch. And I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, folks, have any of you ever heard of a man by the name of Elmer Davis? Elmer Davis is a patriot of the United States of America. He loved this country, and he wrote a book many years ago entitled, But We Have Been Born Free. Listen what he said in that book. I like it. He said, This will only remain the land of the free so long as it's the home of the brave. You've probably never heard of Elmer Davis. You might never heard of the title of his book, but you've probably heard that quote. And that quote is true, and what Elmer Davis believed in the United States of America, that it will only be the land of the free so long as it's the home of the brave. What he believed about this country politically, uh, I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul believed about the faith in Christ spiritually. And so that's really what he does. Through his courage, he teaches us and defends for us the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, it's so powerful in how he does it uh, right here in, in the book of Galatians. And that's exactly what he's describing um, here in Galatians chapter 2. His first fight for Christian liberty came at the Jerusalem Council. Now this council that he's describing is it's found right here in these first 10 verses. He talks about how 14 years prior to writing this letter there in verse number 1, he said, I went up to Jerusalem and I met with the church leaders and I met with some of these Judaizers and we all talked out what it really meant to follow Jesus, what it really meant to be a child of God and preach the gospel. And you're going to find the history of this meeting that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 2 in Acts chapter number 15. If we have time this evening, we'll go over there and look at some of that. But I'm so thankful uh, that the Word of God gives record of what Paul describes here in Galatians chapter 2. How many times have I told you the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself? And we're certainly going to see that uh, this evening from the book of Galatians to the book of Acts chapter number 15. And so Paul describes here what happens um, at the... Jerusalem council that he and Barnabas and Titus went up and, and, and met with. And so why is this so important for us? Why is it important for us tonight that Paul defended Christian liberty in the way that he did? Why is it important to the Gentiles? And that's what he's describing here when he's talking about the circumcision, the Jews, 
and then the uncircumcision, the Gentiles. Paul, we know, was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so why is this defense of Christian liberty so important to us? Well, I think Dr. Warren Wiersbe describes it best and how he puts it here. Let me read it to you. Had Paul not been willing to wage this spiritual warfare, the church in the first century might have become just another Jewish sect. I like that. Another Jewish sect preaching a mixture of law and grace. He said if Paul hadn't went and preached the true gospel, if Paul hadn't had the courage to go out and defend the liberty we have in Christ, that we are free from the constraints of the Old Testament law, if he hadn't done that, then Christianity then might have become just another uh, religious uh, Jewish sect uh, that was preaching law and grace, and, and that would have been a false gospel. But because of Paul's courage, the gospel was kept free of legalism. Now let's define legalism. What is legalism? What were these Judaizers saying? Well, again, they were telling us that, you know what, you can believe, or they were telling them, you can believe in Jesus, and you should, but that's not enough. If you really want to be a child of God, then you've then got to keep the Old Testament law. You've got to keep the Jewish traditions. You've got to keep the feast days. You've got to keep the ceremonial laws. And, and Paul comes along and says, no, if you want to be saved, salvation is found in faith in Christ and nothing else. And so he had the courage to stand up against that legalism, and it was carried to the Gentiles. The gospel, the true gospel, was carried to the Gentiles with great blessing. Now, if it had become just another Jewish sect in the first century, we don't know what would have happened after that time. Would God have brought uh, the, uh, the gospel through someone else? I don't know, maybe, but I'm so thankful Paul then had the courage to stand up for the true gospel, to stand up for Christian liberty, and to go forth and preach the gospel to the Gentiles to whom he had been called. Because if it wasn't for the preaching, the witness of the Apostle Paul's, the mission work of the Apostle Paul, then we wouldn't have heard about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very important for us tonight that he had the courage to stand up for the gospel, the courage to stand up for Christian liberty. That's why the book of Galatians is so important for us today. So we too can learn how to stand up for Christian liberty. Because the same legalists that were alive and well in that day are alive and well today. I can promise you. One of the greatest problems, I believe, um, in the modern church is the idea of legalism. That you somehow have to add to faith in Jesus to be saved. You've got to be a member of a certain church. You've got to go through some religious ritual. Or you've got to uh, keep these set of rules and regulations if you're really going to be a child of God. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Again though, we remember good works are important, but good works are not salvific. Amen? Good works are not the reason for salvation, but the result of salvation. And so we need to understand coming to church won't save you. Anything wrong with coming to church? No. But coming to church simply will not save you. I heard one pastor put it like this. He said, being in a church won't make you a Christian any more than being in a garden will make you a tomato. Any more than being in a garage will make you a car. Now, if you are a Christian, I can promise you just like a car in the garage over time, you're going to look a whole lot better if you're in church and being under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, the encouragement of the saints, and being about the business of the Lord. A car looks a whole lot better that's been kept in the garage and a Christian looks a whole lot better who remains faithful to the church is what I'm saying. And so it's important, but let's not get the cart before the horse. Salvation is in Christ. You're not saved by coming to church. You're not saved by water baptism. You're not saved by doing good things. Anything wrong with water baptism? No, it's just not salvific. It's not, it don't save you. Anything wrong with doing good things? No, but it just don't save you because we can't do enough good things. God's standard is perfection, and I'm never going to meet that, and you're never going to meet that while we're in this fallen creation. So what we need is God's help by grace. And by grace, he sent his son to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So you need to understand that legalism 
robs Jesus of his glory, and it also gives people a false hope. Amen? It certainly robs the true believers of the Christian liberty. It does a lot of bad things. Now, listen to me, folks. Before we really get into what happens there at the Jerusalem Council that's being described in these first 10 verses, I want to identify who all is there. The Bible gives us a list of them. First of all, in verse number one, the Bible says that it was Paul, we know that, Barnabas, and a man by the name of Titus. So we know who Paul is. Paul was once Saul of Tarsus, whom God saved by his grace on the road to Damascus, and then he called Paul, who used to be Saul, to become the apostle to the Gentiles, to go to the Gentile nations and bring the gospel to them. So that's who Paul is. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas is a lifelong friend of Paul. He went on Paul's first missionary journey with him. As Paul went out preaching the gospel and planting churches, Barnabas was with him. He's called in the book of Acts one of my favorite names. Barnabas actually means the son of encouragement. I love that. <laughs> now, folks, if there's one thing that we need today is people who would just be like Barnabas. I'm talking about who would encourage the brethren. How many know there's enough in this world to discourage you? And if you look around and you, you turn on the news, you get on social media, you listen to the people at work or at school or wherever you're at or at the grocery store, if you look around in this world and you listen long enough, you can get discouraged real easy. I don't know about you, but man, the more I look to the world that we're living in right now, the more I'm thankful that this world is not my home. Just like the old hymn writer says, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I am ready, I am ready to go to my new home whenever God's ready for me. Amen? So there's enough in this world to get discouraged about. There are certainly enough people in this world that will discourage you. You ever been around those folks? I'm telling you, listen, you couldn't, Make them happy if you tried. Like my grandpa used to say, they wouldn't be happy if you hung them with a golden rope. I, I mean, they're, they're the folks who will sit there and cross their arms and poke out their lip and say, bless me, preacher, I'm ready, and I ain't going to smile because I'm afraid my face will break. They're the people who never have a good day. I mean, you walk up to them at work and you say, man, have a great day today. Go out, go out and, uh, and, and just, just have a ball. Do the things you need to do. Well, it's going to rain. My dog's sick and he ain't feeling well. I don't know how he's going to get through what he's going through. And they've always got something to grumble about. They've always got something to be negative about. You ever been around those folks? There's enough to be discouraged about. There's enough people that will discourage you. If there's one thing we need in the body of Christ, it's some people like Barnabas. Some people who encourage. Some people you're glad to see coming. Some people who walk in the joy of the Lord. Some people who realize the blessing of salvation. Some people who speak the truth of the word of God because we know that will certainly encourage every believer. Some people who keep reminding you of the hope we have in Jesus. Some people who love life. Folks, I think you ought to love life, especially if you're a child of God. The Christian should never be one who looks as though he's been baptized in pickle juice. Shouldn't be the case. But so many times it is. Those who claim the name of Jesus have the worst disposition. Listen to me. If you have a friend in Christ, you have the blessed hope of eternal life. If you have a friend in Jesus, if you've been born again into the family of God, you are the adopted sons and daughters of God himself. If you've been born again into the family of God, if you are a friend of Jesus, Anytime you choose, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. If you are a friend of Jesus, if you've been born again into the family of God, the Holy Spirit of God himself dwells on the inside of you. I'm not saying you don't have bad days. We all do. I'm not saying you don't go through trying times. We all do. I'm not saying you don't shed a tear 
from time to time. But it's so amazing to me that even in the times of despair, even in the times when you don't know what's going to happen, what's going on, even in times of discouragement, depression, God still brings joy to your heart, peace to your soul. That's what's amazing about being a friend of Jesus, about being a part of the family of God. And people ought to see that in us. We need to be more like Barnabas, sons of encouragement, daughters of encouragement, if you will. But we need some folks like him. I, I love that, how the Bible describes him. So we have Paul, we have Barnabas, and then we have Titus. Titus is the person that Paul wrote the letter to, which is the book of Titus that we have in the New Testament. Titus was a Gentile believer that was saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so when they go to this Jerusalem council, Paul brings some of the fruit of his ministry. <laughs> Someone who has trusted the gospel and been born again with him. I like that. We'll see how that works out in just a minute. And then we see in verse number 9 that not only was Paul and Barnabas and Titus there, but Peter, the Bible here calls him Cephas, James and John were there. So we know who Peter is. Peter the apostle that walked on water. Peter the one that made that great declaration of faith that we studied about two weeks ago in Matthew 16, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was the first pastor of the first church there in Jerusalem who preached on the day of Pentecost. That Peter, we all know him. And then we have James. Now don't mistake in this James here for the brother of John. The brother of John at that time had already been beheaded by Herod. That happened in Acts chapter number 12. The James spoken of here is the half-brother of Jesus. The Bible says in the Gospels that Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus was born. Now we know them to be the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus was not born of the seed of man, but of God the Holy Spirit. Amen? It was a supernatural virgin birth that brought the Savior into the world, God incarnate in the flesh. But Mary and Joseph then had children of their own after Jesus. James was one of those children. He was a half-brother of Christ. He's the same one who wrote the book of James. Now, I think it's amazing, and I think it's a great testament to the truth, the, the gospel truth of the, of the resurrection, that it wasn't until after Jesus came and rose again at the, on that first Easter morning that his family believed in him. The Bible says in the book of John that even his brothers and sisters, James being one of them, did not follow Jesus nor trusted in the fact that he was the Messiah while he was performing his earthly ministry. But after the resurrection, they all became believers. Why? Because the empty tomb changes things. It's been changing things for 2,000 years. Can you say amen? It's changed thing for all eternity, matter of fact. And so James became not only a believer and a follower of Jesus after the resurrection, but at the time when they have this Jerusalem council, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. We have him, Peter, James, and then the Bible says we had John. And you know John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how he describes himself in the book of John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles. And then he wrote um, the book of Revelation, John the Revelator. That's who this is. And that's who was meeting there along with the Judaizers um, in Acts chapter number 15. Now, the first thing that I want you to see is there's a private consultation that takes place. First of all, Peter, James, John, Paul, Barnabas, Titus, and then these false brethren, the Judaizers, they all met together privately. We see that in these first three verses. Look what it says. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation. Now, what, let me tell you what that means. That means that, that man did not tell Paul to go up to Jerusalem, but he went up there by revelation of the Holy Spirit. God told him to go to Jerusalem. And God brought him to Jerusalem to defend the gospel and to preach the truth of Christian liberty in Christ. That we're made free in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. 
but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So Paul says, first of all, I had a private consultation with them who had reputation there in the church of Jerusalem. And I spoke to them this gospel that I had been preaching on my first missionary journey. See, at the time when Paul goes up here to uh, Jerusalem, him and Barnabas had just got back from their first missionary journey and they began to give their mission report to the churches. First, they went to Antioch. We'll see that in just a moment. And when they went to Antioch, several of the Judaizers there, those who were very legalistic, those false brethren, they, they really got mad at the gospel Paul was preaching, saying that he didn't take it far enough. He, he wasn't preaching that, that new converts also had to keep the Old Testament law. And so they, they got in a very heated discussion. And so what Paul comes to the conclusion of is this. What we need to do is take this argument that we're having here at Antioch up to the church fathers in Jerusalem and let's discuss it with them. Let's discuss it with Peter. Let's discuss it with James. Let's discuss it with John. And that's exactly what happens. You'll find that in Acts chapter 14. In verse number 27, when Paul, brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Acts 14, verse number 27, when Paul and Barnabas got back to Antioch and they were given their missions report about how all the good things God was doing in the Gentile nations, these Judaizers got mad about it. Look, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So he tells them all of this. That's going on. And when he tells them this, they get angry about it. We know they get angry about it because of Acts 15 too. Brother, if you will please put that on the screen for me. Acts chapter 15, verse number 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. He said it wasn't a small thing that was going on. There was a lot of dissension. There was a lot of disagreement. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and under the apostles and elders about this question. What question? The question of whether or not the gospel Paul was preaching was the true gospel or whether or not the Judaizers were right that you had to somehow add to the gospel Paul was preaching. So that was all that was happening there in, first of all, this private consultation. Now, the Bible tells us something there in Galatians chapter 2. And the end of verse number two. And he said, I went up to get to, to speak to these folks about the gospel I was preaching. I went and talked to Peter and James and John. And I went up there for the purpose of sharing with them the truth I had been sharing and see if they agreed with it so that I might not run or had run in vain. Now, what does that mean? Does this mean that the Apostle Paul was wondering whether or not he was preaching the right gospel? Is that what it means? No, I don't believe so at all. A man who wonders whether or not he's preaching the right gospel does not leave everything he knows in his life. Go on the mission field suffer persecution, threat of death, hunger, loss, abandonment, shipwreck. They don't go and suffer all the thing and finally die a martyr's death. They don't do all of that if they're wondering whether or not they're preaching the right message. That's not why he went up there. He did go up there to share with Peter, James, and John the message he was preaching so that they too would have his back when it came to these matters because the truth is at that time they carried a lot of weight. They were the church fathers. They were like the Bible says, those who had reputation. Like it says in verse nine, they were the pillars of the church. And so their opinion mattered not only to Paul but also to all the churches that had been started because of the mission work of the Apostle Paul. So there was a private consultation, and then we see in verses 3 through 5, there was a public confrontation. Then they bring this out into the public and really start hashing it out in this council. Look what it says, verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So let me tell you what's happening. 
When they get there and they find out that Titus is one of these new converts, these Gentile converts who had been saved under the ministry of Paul when he went on this first missionary journey, some of these Judaizers said, okay, if he's been saved, that's fine, but now he needs to be circumcised. Well, that's not going to sit real well with Titus, who's a Gentile. That's not the truth he's heard. That's not the truth that has radically changed his life from paganism to following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Titus says, no, I ain't got to do that. I've got what I need. <laughs> I know who I've trusted. Now that was an important thing for the Jews because that was something that had been with the Jews for thousands of years. It was a right that God had gave to the Jewish nation. It was a symbol in many ways of the promise of God to always bless Abraham. But that didn't mean a whole lot to Titus, and so Titus wasn't compelled to do it. He says, you know what, my gospel is good enough. I know in whom I've trusted. I know who's changed my life. I know who made me new. <laughs> so I'm just going to stick with that. I like Titus already, don't you? Now watch. Watch this right here. Verse 4. And that because of false brethren unaware brought in. They, these false brethren, these Judaizers, tried to lay that on Titus is what he's saying. They came in unaware. Who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. He said, and the whole reason these false brethren did this, they didn't want to know the truth. They certainly hadn't trusted in the truth. What they were trying to do is still our converts. What they were trying to do is muddy the waters. What they were trying to do was cause harm to these new believers that God had just saved. Man, that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing. You know what Jesus said about those who fool with the little children? He said it'd be better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and to be cast into the sea. Now I know at the moment in the context of which that, that scripture is given, Jesus was actually there talking about physically little children. I get that. But I certainly think that applies to the new believers in Christ Jesus. You better be careful about messing with God's anointed. That's a very dangerous thing. Why was Paul so passionate about standing up for the Christian liberty that's in the true gospel? Why was Paul so courageous in standing in front of some of the most powerful men of that day and say, no, you're wrong. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus has done. That's not what this is about. Why did he do that? Because he understood the importance of sharing the truth that changes lives. And he understood the importance of defending those whose lives had been changed. We need to know the importance of that as well. We need to be brave enough to stand as well and say it's all about Jesus. Can you say amen? Faith in Christ alone brings salvation. That's what Paul said. That's what we got to say. So let's go back, if you will, please. And let's look over in, in the book of Acts. And I want, I want you to hear some of this testimony that's given during this council. Acts 15, verses 7 through 11, we're going to hear the testimony of Peter himself. This is how Peter deals with this discussion over whether or not Paul's gospel or the Judaizers' gospel is the right gospel. All right? Look what he says, Acts 15, 7. And when there had been much disputing, that means there was a lot of heated argument going on here. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. See, it was Peter who first preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he said, You remember how God put that on my heart, and you remember how God worked in their life. How God brought them into the church, verse 8. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, 
even as he did in us. So what he says is, hey, we all Jews here, but guess what? Except for Titus. We all Jews here, but guess what? God gave all these Gentiles, Titus included, who's in the meeting, he gave these Gentiles the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit he gave us. Does that remind you of something we looked at just Sunday? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. By one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Greeks, Jews or Gentiles. <laughs> one spirit, one body, one Jesus. He does the work. Look, verse, verse 9. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Don't you love that? <laughs> Peter says, why in the world do you want these new converts to be put under the bondage of this Old Testament Levitical ceremonial law when we ourselves couldn't even keep it and we're Jews? It's bred into us. <laughs> We grew up with it. We were taught it our whole lives. And we could not keep it. It didn't bring us life. It didn't, listen, do for us what needed doing when it came to our relationship with God. So why in the world are we going to bondage, put somebody else under the yoke of bondage like we were once under? That's what he's saying. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace, everybody say grace. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. That's the testimony of Peter. But that ain't the only thing you need to see. Look at verse 12. Paul and Barnabas says something there. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave the audience to Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now, I like how Paul does things. This brother's smart. I'm telling you, he just knows how to do things. He knows how to make his case. He knows how to argue his point. So Paul and Barnabas then stand up and start testifying, you know what, we've been all over the known world. We've been wherever God told us to go. And wherever God told us to go, we preach the gospel. And the same gospel that has saved us Jews is saving those Gentiles. The same spirit that God gave to us, just like Peter said, it's gave to them. And we've seen God do healings. and We've seen God do miracles. We've seen God do things that only God can do. And he's doing it not only among the Jews. He's doing it upon these, among these Gentile nations. Oh, oh, and by the way, guess what? Right here's one of the converts. Now, the Bible don't tell us. Maybe Titus got to testify a little bit about what God had done in his life. Well, do you see how Paul does that? Do you see how God put the right people in the right place at the right time? So that his truth might go forth. So that the gospel might be defended. I love that. Then James the pastor of the church at that time. He speaks up. Look at verse 13. And after they had held their peace. James answered saying. Men and brethren hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles. To take out of them a people for his name. And to this Agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Watch. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. I like how Brother James puts it. He says, you know what? This is not really a new thing. This is a fulfillment of the old thing. <laughs> he said, you don't remember how God had prophesied through the prophets that the Gentiles were going to be saved? That he was going to do with the Gentile nations? Just exactly what he's done for us. He's going to give us truth that changes lives. He's going to make us a part of the family of God, the family of faith. Look at verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things that strangled and from blood. So what's he saying? He said, now we want them to realize God loves you. 
Yes. God has saved you. Yes. But we want these Gentiles to know God loves you too much to leave you like he found you. He says, now, because you've trusted in Jesus, there ought to be a change in your life. You need to abstain from the pollution of the world, the pollution of idols, the idols that you used to worship as pagans. You need to abstain from fornication. Amen? You need to have one man, one woman, together under God's covenant, and from things strangled, and from blood. What he's talking about is sacrifice to idols. He says, stay away from all that. Because now you're new in Jesus. That's what we're going to tell them. We ain't going to put them under the yoke of bondage of the old law. We're going to talk to them about the power that's changed their life now and will keep them in the future. Amen? Look at verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. You can tell that James grew up a Jew studying the scripture. He's just hammering some Old Testament scripture to them and telling them, listen, this is something that God's been doing for a long time that has finally been fulfilled in Jesus. I love it. So this public confrontation, I don't think went the way of the Judaizers, do you? Pretty much, Peter, certainly Paul and Barnabas, and then James comes really to bat for the defense of the gospel, the true gospel, liberty that's in Christ. Now look what happens. Go back to Galatians chapter 2, verse number 5. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. I want to deal with that just a minute. He said, these, these people who came against the gospel and came against the mission work and were mad because God was working in the Gentiles and warned them to come under the Old Testament law, these legalists, these Judaizers, he said, we didn't even put up with that stuff for an hour. Let me tell you what I love about Paul. Paul is not in bondage to the Old Testament law. We know that. Let me tell you what, he's not, what else he's not in bondage to. He's, not, he's certainly not in bondage to legalism. We know that. But let, let me tell you something else. He's not in bondage to public opinion either. I like it. If we get in bondage to public opinion, we will never be what God has saved us to be. We won't. We can't. If we care more about what man thinks than what God says and what God thinks, then we've completely missed the mark. Years ago, it's been about three, four years ago now, I got a call from a young pastor. He'd just been called into the ministry and the Lord had put him in a, uh, in a church as a youth pastor. And he used to be in, uh, in a church that I pastored. So that was pretty exciting for me, you know, to hear that God had saved this young man and then had called him into the ministry and now he's working in a church as a youth pastor. And he, he calls me up and he's, hey, man, you could just, I wouldn't even, he wasn't even in my presence. I mean, we was just talking on the phone, but I could just hear the joy of the Lord in his voice. I mean, it was just resonating through the phone. I, I'm telling you, this brother was zealous toward the things of God. He was so happy about what God was doing and how God had called him. And he gave me the testimony of how God had, had spoke to his heart. And it was so powerful. And then began talking about how that God was working in his youth group and he was loving these kids. And was, those kids were responding to the word that he was preaching and teaching to them. He was so excited. And I did everything I could to encourage him. And I prayed for him. And then about two, maybe three months later, he called me back. And from the first moment that he called me back, I could detect in his voice that some of that joy, a whole lot of that zeal was gone. And I could tell just by talking to him because I knew him that that brother was discouraged. He was down and out. He wasn't near as joyful as what he was the first time he called. So I said, man, what's going on with you? What's happening? And he began telling me all these things that were happening, not with his youth, but with the parents of his youth. And how that they disagreed with a lot of the things he was teaching. So I said, well, tell me what you're teaching. 
So he began telling me. And I said, well, brother, this sounds like me. You're teaching the Bible. I mean, he was preaching the truth of the word of God. And a lot of them didn't like that. And they were coming against him pretty heavy. And he said something at the end of that conversation. He said, brother, I never knew that being a pastor was so political. I said, whoa, wait just a minute. It's not. Never was supposed to be. Do you know that God has called us to be ambassadors, but not politicians? Let me tell you what I mean by that. We are ambassadors for Christ, preaching the true gospel. And that's not just true for preachers, that's true for every believer. We are not called to be politicians who try to please everybody. You're never going to do that. You're never going to do that. It's impossible. You can't be under the bondage of public opinion and serve the Lord. Either you've got to serve the Lord or you've got to serve people. You've got to serve God or you've got to serve manna. You can't do both. Because the truth is, even the, even the message that I preach offends me. Lord have mercy. If it offends me, it's probably going to offend somebody else. I get offended every time I prepare a message. I got to get on my face and say, Lord, I can't go preach this. You gotta, I got to repent first. Why? Because we're all growing in this thing. But I want to grow. How about you? And I, I, I want you to grow. I, and, and listen, as your pastor, if I can't preach to you truth, you don't need me. And the truth is you shouldn't want me. If we can't please God, it don't matter who we please. We're ambassadors, not politicians. That's why Paul said, you know what? We didn't even put up with that junk for an hour. We said, no, that ain't happening. We preach in Jesus because Jesus is the way. No, that's not. I don't, you don't have to be harsh with that, even though sometimes a little harshness is needed. I've come to find out some people only understand harshness for some reason. People's got to hear what's being said. We speak truth, we speak it in love, but folks, we got to speak it. I had a lady tell me one time, she said, Brother Israel, you preach too hard. I mean, she told me that. She said, I don't like when you come down out of the pulpit. I don't like when you raise your voice. You're preaching. I don't like that. She told me straight to my face, which I kind of like because I like to know where I stand with folks. It's okay. I'm glad she's real. She just let me know. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, do you think Jesus preached hard? No, I don't think Jesus done like that. And then I took her over to the Gospels and we read through some stuff. You know, Jesus said some harsh things. Brothers and sisters, I ain't never heard hard preaching like that. You know what he said? He looked at people and he said, you know what? You are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look real white and shiny, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. That's hard. That's hard. You know what else he said at one time? He said, y'all a bunch of hypocrites. And the book of Isaiah, he tells them, he quotes from the book of Isaiah, and he says, y'all like hypocrites who praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he pretty much says, Isaiah is talking about you. That's hard. Do you think it was hard when Jesus walked up in the temple, made him a whip of cords, and turned over the money changers' temple, or tables? That brother just cleared off a spot and threw a fit. That's some hard things. Now listen, we got to be careful with that because we don't have the enlightenment and understanding Jesus has. But what we do have is the truth of the word of God and we must, we have to stand on that. Make it our standard. Do you get what I'm saying? Ambassadors. It's important. There was a public confrontation, there was personal confirmation, and let me tell you what happens. Pretty much what the council says to him, it said, and it happens in verse 7. Let's just what, read that verse and we're going to be finished. But it says, but contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. So Paul was saying, 
you know what? This council decided that God had called me to the Gentiles. Really, the proof was in the pudding. I mean, he'd already went on his first missionary journey. All these churches were started. All these people were saved. God did all these wonderful works. Then he brought Titus back and said, look, God, look what God did. So they said, you know what? We know that God has called you, the Holy Spirit has called you to the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. And then he says with this, watch. As the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So Peter's going to focus on the Jews. Paul's going to focus on the Gentiles. Does that mean that Paul wouldn't preach to the Jew? Certainly not. Certainly not. Matter of fact, everywhere Paul went, you'll find him when he first got to a place, he'd go find the synagogue and preach to some Jews. He did it all the time. Does that mean Peter wouldn't preach to Gentiles? Absolutely not. You're going to find that Peter was always preaching to the Gentiles every chance he got. So, what are they saying? They're saying that there was a personal um, confirmation here that God was really at work in both people's lives. Let's let God be God. Let's let him do the calling. And where God sends us, let's go, is what they're talking about. And Paul said to this church at Galatians, you know what? I went to that council in Jerusalem, and I was personally confirmed by those who were the pillars of the church. And again, a lot of this, like we said last week, is done so that he might have a leg to stand on and write the letter he's writing to these people. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions? Any prayer requests tonight? Amen. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sure will. Anyone else? Good. Good deal. That's great. Anyone else?